Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hi, I'm Andy Levy, former Fox News and CNN HLN guy and current cable news conscientious objector. I'm a former libertarian who now sits pretty comfortably on the left. Hi, I'm Danielle Moody, former educator and recovering lobbyist. But today, I'm an unapologetic, woke commentator on America's threats to democracy. And I'm producer Jesse Cannon, and I'm here to make sure things don't go too far off the rails. We're here to have fun, smart conversations with some of the most knowledgeable and entertaining people in politics, media, and beyond. Our goal is to try and make sense of our current crazy world, our new abnormal, and hopefully even make you laugh through the tears. Hello, and welcome to another Sunday bonus episode of The New Abnormal. We thank you so much for being here. Today, we have an extra special episode with Mike Masnick, who's the founder and editor of the blog TechDirt and the CEO of the Copia Institute. And he's going to talk to us all about the Twitter hearings that were held in Congress this week. But first, let's have some fun. Are you guys ready to listen to some clips? Hell yeah. Clips, yeah. Where are the clips? All right. That's that's the enthusiasm I like to hear. Okay. So the kids like to use this term capping, like that they're, you know giving some cover to say something nice about somebody. And um, one Tucker Carlson is going to do that for George Santos here. George Santos told other people out loud, and CNN can exclusively confirm this, that he had a volleyball scholarship, perhaps the most coveted credential in collegiate sports. But he didn't. It was all a facade. It was a tissue of lies constructed to deceive the American people. There was no volleyball scholarship. There was not a single dollar of volleyball scholarship. George Santos made it all up out of whole cloth, out of thin air. George Santos is an ersatz volleyball player, a fraud, a ghoul. People voted for this man believing he had played collegiate volleyball on a scholarship, and he hadn't. And yet tonight, ladies and gentlemen, this thief of volleyball glory strides the halls of the United States Congress unimpeded by law enforcement. It's like another insurrection. And by the way, we are hearing tonight, we can't confirm this, but we're we'll continuing our investigation in George Santos. There are reports tonight that he did not actually work at Citibank. He did not work at Citibank. No volleyball scholarship, never worked at Citibank. What percentage of the people who voted for George Santos under false pretenses would have done so had they known he never played volleyball and never worked at Citibank. We can only guess, obviously a very small percentage. Uh, Tucker Carlson, who I used to know and used to be kind of friendly with, is a giant piece of shit. <laughs> and I don't really know how else to say it. Like, I don't, he just, he is literally one of the worst people in America. Like, there's no point even getting outraged about this because it's so stupid. But the idea that, like, he picks up on the volleyball thing and acts like that's what people care about, that George Santos lied. I, I mean, it's so obvious, the response to this, that I don't even want to give it beyond that. But it's just, he's a giant piece of shit. I don't know what else to say about Tucker Carlson. 
Do you know those like memes that go around and they're like, if you could get rid of one person, right? Uh, and like all of, you know, their entire resume, their entire thing. So you have in the box, you put Tucker Carlson, Marjorie Taylor Greene, Mitch McConnell and Kevin McCarthy. You can only get rid of one, right? Every single time I'm choosing Tucker Carlson because I think that he is more dangerous than any of those people. Why? Because he has the highest rated fucking show in his time block. On Fox News. And it is amazing to me because I continue as I listen to his bullshit. I remember him when he used to wear his fucking bow ties. This is the guy that 60 some odd million people are listening to. Right. That are thinking to themselves. Oh, yeah. What's the big deal about George Santos? Oh, I don't know. The fact that he's lied about everything, including where his campaign financing was coming from. Yeah. Right. Including the fact that, you know, on one of our country's worst days, 9-11, that he used that, right, to pull out the heartstrings of his constituents. Oh, I lost my mother too, knowing how many people on Long Island lost someone. I'm just so fucking sick and tired of Tucker Carlson. I'm so fucking sick and tired of these people and their bullshit and their fucking life. Like, he's more outraged about fucking M&Ms and their boots than he is about anything else. He's a, he is. He's a giant, heaping, steaming piece of shit. Why do you do this to me, Jesse? Why? <laughs> Why are you like it's, it's this? Ju- it's, ju- it's just going to get worse. See, what I was going to say is, like, whereas Andy was at a loss for words and couldn't <laughs> even name all the ways he's a piece of shit, whereas Tucker, the difference is, is that he knew there was a lot more of the story. He just obscures it intentionally to skew the facts. There's a difference, people. Learn your media. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we have a reoccurring segment on this show. It's called, What the Fuck is Senator John Kennedy of Louisiana Even Fucking Talking About? Well, what we're going to hear from the president tonight, Jesse, are are words. That's all they are, words. Words on a teleprompter. Hmm. As opposed to every other state of the union at the (laughs) modern age. Mm -hmm. Wow. Wow. It's like Camelot all over again. As as opposed to the words that he pulls out of thin air and tries to string together in a fucking sentence. <laughs> that's not, that's some alchemy right there, Danielle. Don't mock it. Oh my god. He's another one that is not a dumb guy. But, but are you sure? But no, he has numerous uh, decorated degrees. Yes, he does not have an IQ of sixty. He just pretends he has an IQ of sixty, which is obviously far worse. Like you can't help it if you have an IQ of sixty. To be a not dumb person and to be an educated person and to act like you are some kind of good old country boy for votes and for whatever is just, he is just so pathetic. Like all these people are just so pathetic. He graduated Vanderbilt, magna cum laude. Not a stupid person, but just plays one in Congress. Okay, so now we're going to have a tale of two Congress people at the Twitter hearings. Up first, I'm going to bring us the worst. It's Marjorie Taylor Greene by owning herself by spouting a whole bunch of conspiracy theories that's probably going to get her a slander lawsuit. Mr. Roth, as the head and trust of safety at Twitter, your ability, or should I say inability, to remove child porn. Now, here's something that disgusts me about you. In your doctoral dissertation entitled Gay Data, you argued that minors should have access to Grindr, an adult male gay hookup app. Minors? Really? 
You know, Elon Musk took over Twitter and he banned 44,000 accounts that were promoting child porn. You permanently banned my Twitter account, but you allowed child, child porn all over Twitter. Twitter had become a platform, you said, connecting queer young adults. You also wrote on Twitter in 2010, can high school students ever meaningfully consent to sex with their teachers? In 2021, while you were the director of trust and safety on Twitter, an underage boy and his mother announced a lawsuit against Twitter because, because Twitter was benefiting from and refused to remove a lewd video featuring this boy and another minor. That is repulsive. Well, she makes a good case. <laughs> if only, if only any of that, that was, was true. <laughs> true, yeah. Now, she is not playing a dumb person. No, she just <laughs> is. She just yeah. is. I pray to God that she gets sued. I really do. Mm-hmm. I know that there was a Republican, I forget the name, who came out and apologized on her behalf, because apparently that's what Republicans do these days, or apologize on behalf of Marjorie Taylor Greene for her behavior, for her under-researched self. I just wonder what it must be like to be on her staff. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, I used to work on the Hill, and I'm just really curious as to what goes on behind those closed doors. Is QAnon the only thing allowed to pull up on their computers? I wonder. She's an embarrassment. I mean, she is. I just, I guess I just sort of assume that her staff are like mini hers. Yeah, I think that's who fed that to her, sadly. Like, I get the fact that, like, there are staffers who work for Congress people who, you know, sit there and go like, oh, God, what what is he's saying now or what did she just do my guess is her staff is not like that they probably think just like her i don't i could be wrong i just i don't know how you could work for someone that batshit and not also be batshit well seeing as we recently learned that her quote-unquote intern milo yonopoulos uses her address as his address uh i think we know some answers here (laughs) Mm -mm. Mm -mm. speaking of people who were pro underage sex Almost like the Gruber calls are coming from inside the house. It's almost. I wish somebody would pick up. Okay. Unlike usual, I'm going to play us out on a happy note. Here's one. Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez absolutely just demolishing at that hearing. Navarroli, let's talk about something real. I'd like to show you a tweet posted by former President Trump about my colleagues and I on July 14th, 2019. It says in part, quote, Why don't they go back and help fix the totally broken and crime-infested places from which they came? Then come back and show us how it's done. These places need your help badly. You can't leave fast enough. I'm sure that Nancy Pelosi would be very happy as quickly to work out free travel arrangements. A day or two after that, uh, Donald Trump publicly uh, incited violence at a rally, uh, targeting four congresswomen, including myself, saying, go back to where you came from. Uh, Ms. Navarroli, as I understand it, you were uh, the most senior member of Twitter's content moderation team, or a senior member of Twitter's content moderation team when this was posted. Um, As part of your responsibilities, did you review this tweet? Yes, it was my team's responsibility to review these tweets. And what did you conclude? My team made the recommendation that for the first time we find Donald Trump in violation of Twitter's policies and use the public interest interstitial. For the first time? Yes. And at the time, Twitter's policy included a specific example when it came to banned abuse uh, against immigrants as 
in, they specifically included the phrase, go back to your country or go, or go back to where you came from, correct? Yes, that was specifically included in the content moderation guidance as and an you, example. You brought this up to the Vice President of Trust and Safety, Del Harvey, correct? I did, yes. And she overrode your assessment, didn't she? Yes, she did. Um, and something interesting happened after she overrode your assessment. A day or two later, Twitter seemed to have changed their policies, didn't they? Yes, that trope, go back to where you came from, was removed from the content moderation guidance as an example. So Twitter changed their own policy after the president violated it um, in order to potentially accommodate his tweet? Yes. Thank you. Um, so much for bias against right wing on Twitter. Mm -mm -mm. <laughs> that was absolutely fantastic. And like, I give her a lot of credit for remaining as calm as she did in the face <laughs> of just this mass stupidity sitting around her. And I, I honestly don't know how she did it. We don't give enough props to AOC. We don't give enough props to these very astute, very compassionate, passionate patriots who go into this job every single day surrounded by people who have incited violence, who they don't know, you know, what they will do, who have they've had to hire, I mean, file a restraining order against, right? Like she had to file a restraining order against Marjorie Taylor Greene for stalking her around Congress. But she continues to show up and work under duress, right? As many of the members of color and Democrats in general are doing because of these Republicans. My, bravo, AOC deserves every single bit of applause. She is a master's class in how to present during a hearing. And something she didn't say there, I know she's brought it up before, Trump saying that she and the others should go back to where they came from. She was born in the Bronx. She was born 20 miles from the hospital he was born in. <laughs> Let's just keep that in mind. <laughs> Literally the same city as him. So it's just, it's it's unreal. And to your point, Danielle, Warren Bobert went on a radio interview, radio, quote unquote radio, this week and bragged that she's actually not allowed to take the elevator in Congress anymore because of how much she harassed Elon Omar, which is just fucking pathetic. Yeah, that's what they are, is fucking pathetic. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. You know, there's something I've really been needing to get off of my chest lately, which is that everyone and their mother should listen to the Andre 3000 album because it lifts my spirits on a regular basis, 1000%. We all carry around different problems, big and small. And let's be honest, when we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. That's where therapy comes in. It's like this safe space where you can unload all those burdens and start figuring out 
about how to work through whatever's weighing you down. Therapy can make a difference. I know this from firsthand experience. And it's not just for those who've experienced major trauma. It's for anyone who wants to improve their mental well-being. Therapy can help you learn coping skills. It can teach you how to set better boundaries. And it can make you be a better version of yourself. If you're considering therapy, why not give BetterHelp a try? It's entirely online, which means it's convenient, flexible, and fits into your schedule seamlessly. Plus, getting started is as easy as filling out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. And the best part? You can switch therapists anytime at no additional charge. So why wait? Take that first step towards a happier, healthier you with BetterHelp. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash The New Abnormal today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash The New Abnormal. House Republicans thought it was a great idea to hold hearings about Twitter this past week, thinking they would shock the world by showing how the social media company worked with Democrats and the deep state to conspire against conservatives. But let's just say that uh, maybe didn't go as planned. Joining me now to discuss is Mike Masnick, founder and editor of the great Tech Dirt blog at techdirt.com and CEO of the Copia Institute. Mike, thanks so much for being here. Always happy to talk to you. So... I'm not sure I've seen something backfire this spectacularly since I had a 1973 Plymouth Fury. How did this happen? This was supposed to be sweet revenge time for the new House majority. A lot of people seem to assume that the Twitter files revealed something that they very clearly did not and actually, for the most part, disproved. And therefore, they just kind of went with their belief that it must have said what it what it said and then decided <laughs> to hold an entire hearing assuming that it would confirm the thing that they thought it said but which it actually disproved and therefore in the hearing the witnesses were able to once again disprove the thing that the twitter files disproved it's sort of this weird cognitive dissonance something delusion i'm not i'm not entirely sure <laughs> how it's playing out in the minds of people. But the incredible thing is that I still see lots of people insisting that it did prove things and and people are expecting like criminal indictments to come down because of this. And everything about it was the opposite of what they seem to think, you know, happened. Yeah. You mentioned the Twitter files and that was, of course, the various tranches of things that Elon Musk released to various... I don't know if the word reporter is even (laughs) accurate anymore for people like Matt Taibbi and Barry Weiss. And that sought to prove that under the previous ownership, Twitter had done what the hearing was supposed to lay out, that the company worked with Democrats, worked with the FBI to sort of conspire against Republicans and conservatives. But then, as you point out, what we learned in the hearing was that this was all done by Twitter in a very bipartisan manner. And for example, a fun thing that we learned, and that is now in the congressional record, is that when Chrissy Teigen put up a tweet calling Trump a pussy ass bitch, the White House then contacted Twitter and asked them to take down the tweet because it was a derogatory statement directed at the president. This is, again, this is exactly the kind of things conservatives were braying about Democrats doing. And as you said, it was the sort of thing that Matt Taibbi in particular, tried to point out in the Twitter files that Democrats had been doing and working with Twitter to do. And all this showed was that all of that stuff was totally incomplete. 
Yeah. In the very first Twitter files, Taibbi had mentioned that the White House had sent requests to take down content. And a lot of people, including myself, had highlighted that particular tweet and then noted that he never in any of the I don't know how many Twitter files there have been since 17, 20, 25, who knows that they've never showed any examples of that. In fact, they've sort right. of very clearly cherry picked only examples where Democrats sent in information. And here was a, a pretty clear example of not just, you know, a request for a takedown, but an obviously silly one. Like all of the examples that have been shown of requests for reviewing the content, not necessarily taking it down, but reviewing the content has been things like Hunter Biden nude pictures, <laughs> right. you know, which there, there's a reason for that. Or like election misinformation where like People telling people to vote on the wrong day after election day, for example, you know, things where there is an argument whether or not the government should be doing that. That's a separate question, which we could yes. discuss. But, you know, there is a, an element of, of reason behind why they would be sent. And they're all of the examples shown so far have been basically like, you should look at these to see if they violate your policies, not you must take this down. Whereas the example of the Christy Teigen tweet was clearly just purely ego driven right. by the president being upset about being called a pussy ass bitch, which <laughs> right. is right. I mean, that that was just clearly she's being mean to me. Yes. You know, and of course, it started with him being mean to her. <laughs> you know, right. That was a response tweet to him mocking John Legend and his potty mouthed wife, <laughs> which sort of begs for that kind of response. <laughs> yes. <laughs> So, <laughs> yeah, that's sort of a fuck around and find out situation. Yeah. And then so that's the thing. But, you know, how come the Twitter files never revealed that or any of the other examples of the Trump White House or of Republicans, you know, making similar requests to Twitter? You know, if if it's really this thing that was happening across the board, which it appears to be like, let's talk about it, but let's have an accurate picture, not a cherry picked one. Yeah. And in fact, you know, Rolling Stone came out with a report like the day after the hearings, quoting people as saying that, you know, the Chrissy Teigen thing wasn't an isolated incident, that Twitter, in fact, had a huge file of requests for action from both Democrats and Republicans. And a former Trump official told Rolling Stone, quote, it was strange to me when all of these investigations were announced because it was all about the exact same stuff that we had done when Trump was in office. It was normal. Right. Like he literally said this was just business as usual. Yes. Yes. That part is is incredible, too, because the people who were you know, hosting this hearing had to know that. Right. The Republicans who demanded this hearing and who held it, their names didn't pop up in the Rolling Stone report. But Kevin McCarthy did. Clearly, Republicans know that they've made these requests as well. And so to put this into a congressional hearing and thinking that their own actions were not going to come out during the hearing just seems like they have just this weird blind spot to recognizing how their own actions are going to come back and play out for them. Yeah. And then, I mean, again, this was a hearing that was meant to be about Twitter conspiring against conservatives. And then another thing we learned, courtesy of Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who questioned a former Twitter content moderator named Annika Collier-Navaroli, is that when President Trump literally violated Twitter rules by tweeting that uh, AOC and others in the squad should go back where they came from, we learned that this language was actually in the in Twitter's content moderation guidelines as an example of something that is 
forbidden on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Navaroli testified that she assessed that the tweet was in violation, which seems like the easiest call in the world, and that Twitter then overrode her assessment and also within a few days took that phrase out of the guidance. Yes. And again, this hearing was meant to be about Twitter conspiring against conservatives, and here it is helping a Republican president. Yeah, bending over backwards to not only ignore its own rules, but to change the rules to make it look like they were they were playing by the rules in order to help the president insult a bunch of Democratic congressional representatives after very obnoxiously in a clearly, you know, racist manner, telling them to go back to where they came from again. And there are many other examples of this, but this is one that happened to come out in the in the hearing of Twitter absolutely bending over backwards to help conservatives, which is like the exact opposite of what the hearing and tons of people keep insisting was actually happening. And the the incredible thing was, you know, you basically didn't have any Republican even mention that after it came out. They just kept insisting that this whole panel was proof of conspiring against Republicans. Yeah. And I I always just like to point out that AOC was born in the Bronx. Not only is it, you know, a nasty racist thing to say, it's not even factually accurate. To be fair, and and I can't believe I'm about to do this. (laughs) (laughs) Uh We'll edit this out, don't worry. (laughs) To be fair, there were people who, when Trump tweeted that, there were people who defended it as not racist because he was saying he meant that they should go back to their districts and fix them as opposed to the the countries (laughs) where he might have believed that they came from. I don't know that that is true. I'm not even sure he knew what he was saying at the time. Yeah. But yes, it was clearly a very derogatory statement that he. Yeah. Famously, when you tell someone of Latin descent to go back where they came from or any person of color to go back where they came from, you mean their hometown in America. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Historically, that has definitely been the meaning. The main focus of the hearing was supposed to be like, like the thing that supposedly generated this hearing was Twitter's decision to take down the tweet from the New York Post that linked to its story about Hunter Biden's laptop. Right. And I guess in between people like Lauren Boebert and Marjorie Taylor Greene whining about the treatment of their own stupid (laughs) tweets, there were some actual questions about that. But I also feel like that didn't go any better than the other stuff. No. Again, this was all clear if you actually read what was in the Twitter files, like what what was actually revealed by Taibbi and, and some of the others, not their descriptions of it, which were incredibly misleading, was the sort of weird attempt at misdirection and certainly not what a lot of people believe those files said, but what everything showed and what the Twitter executives who were the witnesses for the panel confirmed again and have said in the past is that it was the wrong decision. They admitted that 24 hours after they made the decision. Yes. And that it was not driven by a push from the Biden campaign. It was not driven by a push from the FBI. It was their own decision. It was mostly based on, you know, and this was sort of mentioned at the hearing, but they didn't go into detail on it. But when that New York Post story came out that morning, I remember certainly lots of people were coming out and saying, hey, this looks sketchy. There were all sorts of concerns with it. I remember like, you know, Thomas Ridd, who's a cybersecurity guy, wrote a whole long thread sort of calling into question a whole bunch of things about it and why everybody should be pretty careful about it. I'm sure there were some others who did that as well. And James Baker, who was the deputy general counsel who was on the hearing, he was saying, you know, we just saw people on Twitter calling out some inconsistencies 
there were later stories that came out that certainly supported that where, you know, Fox News refused to run that story. They had it and they refused to right. run it. And some other publications also, I believe, refused to run it until the New York Post did it. You know, the person who actually wrote the story claimed that he asked for his byline to be taken off of it because he didn't he didn't even feel confident in it. I think the person whose byline was put on it was not a reporter even or like it was like a former Hannity staffer or something like that, I think. So there were all of these questions about it. And basically, you know, exactly what you would expect happened, which was that, you know, Twitter started reviewing it. And what the Twitter files revealed was they had this sort of internal discussion about it with people arguing in both directions and saying, you know, does this really violate our policies? Should we do something? And going back and forth and nobody having a clear answer. And and again, like this is all in the heat of the moment. People have to make a decision relatively quickly. And eventually they just made a decision that like, we're going to put this under the hacked materials policy. And then 24 hours later decided that was a mistake and reversed it. That is is how content moderation works, right? I mean, oftentimes you have to make a decision very quickly with, you know, limited information and you're sort of dealing with what what you have. And eventually, you know, you might reverse that decision or change it as you get more information. It's a high profile situation, obviously, but it was one that it was totally understandable and had nothing to do with the government putting pressure or the Biden campaign putting pressure on it. This is all known. We've known this. We've known this for a long time. Right. And yet, you know, Republicans kept asking about it uh, and, and they kept insisting that this was proof of some horrible conspiracy. <laughs> it was just wrong. And and so, you know, and the witnesses said what they've said all along. There was no surprises. They just repeated exactly what they said, which is, look, it was a tough call. It was a wrong call. We, you know, did it based on the information we had at the time. And that was it. And it had nothing to do with any outside influence. Yeah. You know, I remember when the Twitter files first came out and and this part of it was out there. I remember thinking, and look, I, I wasn't alone in this. Many, many people said this. As you just said, this is what you want content moderation to look like. I was like, oh, they actually had a very serious discussion about this yeah. and and listened to arguments from both sides. And, you know, and as you said, they made a decision in the heat of the moment. And look, it's a tough job. And, and I see it every day on Twitter. You know, someone will make a joke, but it has language that if it weren't a joke would right. look like it was encouraging suicide or self-harm or something. And they're like, I can't believe this joke got taken down. It's like, well, you know what? I get why it was taken down. Obviously, it should be put back up. And, they, you know, this should be flagged if you appeal it or whatever, and they should be able to someone, a human somewhere should be able to say, oh, OK, yeah, this had language similar to other stuff that we had to take down. But in this case, yes, you're it's clearly you're not trying to get someone to kill themselves or, right. or you're not interested in self-harm. But, yeah, it's it's a tough job. And Twitter has copped to that. As you said, they have been consistent in the years since this happened in saying, yeah, we made a mistake. Yeah. And, you know, and it's it's even more than that, right? Because the thing that people have a lot of trouble sort of comprehending, I think, is, is also sort of the scale of this and the fact exactly. that you have, depending on the company, hundreds or thousands of people who have to make these decisions very, very quickly, where they're getting tons of these things being reported every minute. People don't have time to sit there and and read the tweet and understand the context. Is this person joking? You know, is this an in-group situation? Is right. there additional context? Are they quoting a movie? Are they quoting a song? There's all of these different things. Instead, what you have to do, because you have, you know, let's say a thousand moderators, I'm not even sure how many Twitter had at the time, you know, you have to write these kind of clear rules that can just be applied by people all over the world and that can say, here's a very clear rule. 
here's how I apply it. And you don't have like you have to investigate like we're just a bunch of people joking. Exactly. They don't have time to do that. They have however many 30 seconds maybe to look at this. Say, Does it violate a rule? Yes. Go. You know, that's it. And so mistakes are made. And most of those don't go up to the higher levels. Right. It's only sort of the big serious situations that get escalated. So the, the Hunter Biden laptop story was one that did get escalated because it was obviously kind of a, a serious issue and they weren't letting that that happen on the line. And then you had this discussion. And I think it's really important to note. I mean, you said that they had this sort of back and forth discussion. But the key thing that has come out is that not one bit of the discussion, not not a single bit of the discussion suggests anything that was sort of politically motivated or the FBI. Right. There, there is no discussion of that. It was 100 percent like, you know, does this violate our rules? You know, is this like a Russian hack and leak kind of operation, which has happened and they are aware of it and it's right before the election? Like, should we be aware of this? Should we be careful about it? It had nothing to do with like, this will help one side. This will hurt another side. There was no political. It, w- it was a purely like, what is the right thing to do in this scenario kind of question? Yeah. And I, look, I, I'll move on. But I just want to say that I think erring on the side of caution is what you're always going to get from a company like Twitter. And then sure. you can appeal and they can maybe in an appeal situation, take a little more time to look at it, hopefully, and maybe glean some context that they couldn't the first time, because as you said, right. there were you know maybe a thousand people as opposed to now when there's one person moderating <laughs> yes. content. So yeah, but uh, yeah, I'll move on because I can talk about this all day. In terms of the getting back to the hearing, I got to be honest, at a certain point, I just kind of tune out the stupidity. But I know you are a serious journalist, Mike Masnick. <laughs> And so you can answer this for me. Why did Lauren Boebert keep saying that Twitter had broken the law? <laughs> There's something in, in her mind that <laughs> there is there is this sort of conspiracy theory going around. And unfortunately, I just heard like a very famous venture capitalist say the same thing. I'm not even going to say who it is because it's so silly. There is this concept of like taking away someone's constitutional rights. It's uh, deprivation of constitutional rights is this theory that that has made the rounds in some crazed circles is the the way I'll put it. This weird belief that an editorial decision is a deprivation of constitutional rights. That's wrong on so many levels that we don't even need to get into. But she seems to have bought into that sort of conspiracy theory that this decision to do that. The, The other argument that some people make and the Federal Election Commission has already completely eviscerated this idea is that it was like a, an in-kind contribution, not Boebert. Well, one of the other Republican questioners tried to make the argument that this was a, you know, effectively a campaign contribution to the Biden campaign, that it, it was worth more than the maximum campaign contribution. <laughs> you know, It was like asking, how much do you think it was worth to the Biden campaign to, to have this New York Post story censored? And again, like, you know, the evidence on that was that th- this whole the whole controversy over this actually drove a lot more traffic to that New York Post story. But all of this is, its again, it's just wishful thinking. They've made up their interpretation of what happened. They've made up their interpretation of the laws, and they've decided that it must mean that, that Twitter broke the law because Twitter engaged in its, its very clearly, you know, First Amendment constitutionally protected editorial decision making. And Representative Raskin made that point at the end where he, he said, Basically, how would the Republicans feel if we did the same thing, if the Democrats did the same thing and called Fox News for Fox News executives into a hearing and demanded to know their editorial process and who did they put in the, on the air and who did they refuse to put on the air and how do they decide what their lead stories are? Like, 
everyone would see that as a very clear First Amendment problem because it's Congress interfering with you know, the First Amendment editorial process of a private company. And yet that's right. that's what happened with this hearing. And by the way, as someone who used to work there, I can assure you that there's more fire in the Fox News yeah. thing than there was in the Twitter thing. I'm sure. So before I let you go, I want to switch parties for one section because I hadn't heard this, but I read it in, in one of your pieces. Representative Cory Bush wants Twitter to be nationalized? It was a very, very strange thing. I mean, it was funny because like Raskin did a little bit of this too. Not, not He didn't talk about nationalizing it, but Representative Bush, she didn't quite say nationalized, but she j- did say like it should be like publicly owned and sort of publicly controlled or, or something along those lines. And then she talked about the same phrase that is used on the Republican side of like, it is the new public square and therefore it should be publicly owned and it should be, you know, publicly, I forget the exact phrase, but it it basically implied that Twitter or whatever is considered the public square should be nationalized in some form or another. (laughs) It's just like, oh, that's just as bad. You can't, you you know, of course, if that happened, it would create so many problems because then they couldn't do any moderation at all. Right, (laughs) right, right. Has anyone thought through any of this? (laughs) (laughs) What a nightmare. I just, I want to let you know, I have the phrase new public square muted on Twitter. Yes, that is, that is the correct thing to do. <laughs> yeah, I got really tired of people saying that. Mike, thanks so much for being here. I really appreciate it. Thanks for walking us through all of this. And again, I'll direct everyone over to techdirt.com for some of the best writing that you will find on issues like this. Mike, thanks so much. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's always fun. Hope you enjoyed checking out this episode of The New Abnormal. We're back every Tuesday, Friday, and Sunday. If you enjoyed it, please share it with a friend and keep the conversation going. This podcast is a Daily Beast production with production by Jesse Cannon and Seamus Calder. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.